Okay, I'm just going to start again. Um, so Psalms 96, King of the Earth. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods, for all gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Sanctuary and beauty are strength and beauty is in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established and cannot be shaken. He judges the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. When all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and his people with fair faithfulness. From the rising of the sun to its setting, let the name of the Lord be praised. Our text this morning comes from Psalm 113, verse 3, where it says, From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Some people take it upon themselves to build their own house, even though they may have had no previous experience. They draw up plans, get the required permits, and manage the whole build. Now I'm quite in awe of people who can do that. It's an incredible undertaking. But then there are others who manage great building projects such as skyscrapers, bridges, ships, aircraft, etc. We can be very proud of what we can achieve as a human race. But all that pales into insignificance when compared to what God built. When God set out to build something, it was so far beyond anything we could imagine that there is no comparison. Just think for a moment. Before the universe existed, God decided to do just that, build a universe. Design the stars, big stars, comparatively small stars, red stars, white stars, an infinite variety. Design the planets to travel around the stars, big planets, small planets, gaseous planets, solid planets. Once again, an infinite variety. Creating billions of stars with their planets and grouping them together into galaxies. Then all the moons, meteors, comets, etc. and whatever else there may be out there that we don't even know about. The mind boggles. What kind of mind could even come up with a concept like that? He then decides to set one relatively small planet apart on the outskirts of one of the billions of galaxies and gives it special attention. He gives it an atmosphere of just the right mix of gases and creates weather patterns so that there are times of sunshine and times of rain. 
There are seasons of hot and cold, mild and cool. He covers the majority of it with oceans, makes much of the surface not covered by oceans, fertile with fresh water, rivers and streams crisscrossing it and causes all kinds of plants to grow from the tiny to the huge and everything in between. He puts fish in the waters, animals on the land and birds in the air. Insects of all kinds swarm the earth. Worms live beneath the soil and a, a myriad of small creatures make their homes among the rocks and vegetation and it all works together in perfect harmony. And even with all of that, we're only skimming the surface of what he's done. For instance, what has he created in the spiritual realm? Do any of us know? What an amazing God. How great, how powerful must he be? How wise, how creative. And he then decides to place his crowning glory among it all. He makes man and woman. He decides to put a special creation among his vast creation, a creature in which he puts part of himself a creature that has some of the same attributes that he has. He makes someone who can love, who can have compassion, who can show mercy, who has a sense of justice, who knows right from wrong, who can forgive. He creates someone who can appreciate beauty, the colours of a butterfly's wing, the shape of a flower, the silhouette of a tree in stark relief against an evening sky, the spectacular colours of the rising of the sun at dawn. Someone who is awestruck as he contemplates all that is created. Someone who can see past the creation to the hand of the creator. He makes creatures whom he can love as his very own children. But he doesn't want them to be incapable of not loving him. He doesn't want robots who have no choice but to love him. But wants them to choose to love him. Wants them to want to love him. He creates the right environment by showing his love and by providing for all their needs and much more besides. He pours out his blessings on them and all he asks in return is that they love him in return. But in that environment, he sets up a test. He creates a situation where people have to make a conscious choice and he tells them what the consequences will be for the choice they make. If they choose to obey him, if they choose to love him above all, they will have a perfect relationship with him forever. But if they choose to disobey, if they choose to love themselves above him and turn away from him, they will die. He then allows them to be tempted. And what will they do? Which way will they turn? Do they love him enough to stay true to him or will they fall for the temptation?
Humanly speaking, you can almost imagine Father, Son and Holy Spirit collectively holding their breath as they watch. Will they stay true? They choose to disobey and fall for the temptation. And the beautiful relationship they had is severed. They've chosen to die. By the disobedience, they are contaminated. They're soiled. They've been infected with death. There is no death in God, nor any spot or blemish. And so there now has to be a barrier between them and God, and God grieves. The ones he has made to be loved by him and to love him in return have rejected him. And there is no way back. They cannot reverse the decisions they made. They cannot undo what is done. They cannot undisobey, if you like. They're doomed to die. The only one who can do anything about it is their creator God himself. And then only at great cost to himself. How much does he love mankind? What is he prepared to do? How much is he prepared to pay to restore that relationship? To bring down that barrier? The only thing that can be done without compromising his perfection without staining his purity, is to make the biggest sacrifice he could ever make, paying an unimaginably high price, a price that only he can make. And he does it. He makes a plan that will be more difficult for him to execute than anything else he has ever done before. He sends his own dear son to be abused Ridiculed, tortured, nailed to a cross and killed for the very people who have disobeyed him so that through his sacrifice he can destroy death, the sentence that they've been under since their disobedience. Death can only be overcome by him entering death himself and rising back to life, thereby destroying its power. Through the sacrifice of his own dear son, he has made atonement for his people. Through the lifeblood of our dear Saviour, every spot, every blemish, every stumble, every fall, every failure, every sin has been erased. And we have been made spotless. Through that he has made a new path for those who love him. We can once again come to him and have sweet fellowship, close fellowship with our Lord. The way has been opened for us to spend all eternity with him. What a God! What a Saviour! He loves us as much as he loves his only begotten Son. How incredibly awesome is that? And what does he ask of us in return? 
just what he asked of us at the very beginning that we love him back. After all the trouble we've caused him, all the pain that we have inflicted on him, and all that he has had to do to bring us back to him, after all the sacrifices he has made to pay our debt, he still asks nothing more than that we love him back. He doesn't ask us for restitution. He doesn't ask us to pay a debt. He doesn't lay on us the pain that we've laid on him. There's no thought of revenge against those who accept the sacrifice made on their behalf, but only love. And we don't have to wait until we die before we experience that love. Yes, the ultimate demonstration of his love is that he sent his own dear son to die for us on the cross so that we may live. But how does that love manifest itself to us personally now, today, in this life, here on earth. Well, let's look at what the Bible says. In Zechariah 9.16, it says that the Lord their God saved them on that day as the flock of his people. For they are like jewels in his crown, sparkling in his hand. Now you might say that he was talking about Israel here. And that is true. But who does Jesus say are the sheep of his flock? Isn't it all God's people including you and me? He views us as jewels in his crown. Just think for a moment. You and I are jewels in the crown of God. Sparkling in this world. In all this dark world where evil seems so strong, it can feel like darkness is going to overwhelm us. But God sees each one of us sparkling in the gloom. Now I'm sure you've all been outside on a clear night and as you gazed up into the sky, you would have seen the glittering stars shining like diamonds against a black velvet background. And that's how God sees us. That's how precious we are in his sight. And look at Isaiah 62 where it says, As a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. God rejoices over us. Can you even imagine that? When I look at myself, warts and all, when I consider all my flaws, my shortcomings, my faults, my sins, I find it very hard to imagine that the great and glorious God, the perfect one, the most holy one, the great one, creator of heaven and earth, he who is pure light, actually rejoices over me. And he rejoices over you. And he rejoices over you. And he rejoices over you. His love is like that of a love-struck groom as he gazes on his bride. When he sees us through the lens of Jesus, he sees beauty. He sees perfection. He sees what he desires. He sees the objects of his love. That is the God whom we come 
to worship today. Can we do anything other than to love him in return? But it doesn't stop there. Look what it says in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. No matter how far you may feel away from him right now, you can be assured that God delights in you. When you really love someone, that love does not stop if that person makes mistakes or if they turn, even if they turn away from you. How many of you parents would continue to love your children even if it felt like they no longer loved you? God is the one who created that love within you. And he modelled it on his own love. Don't ever think that you can outlove God. And it says, he will quiet you with his love. Just imagine for a moment. You're lying on your bed, tossing and turning with worries and concerns, churning through your mind. And there is God sitting beside you, pouring his love over you. When you hurt, he hurts. When you feel stressed or worried or anxious, he can't help but reach out to you and want to take that hurt from you. So often, we don't act as if we want him to. We refuse to trust him and let him handle things. We're often too, so busy trying to do things ourselves that we don't even give ourselves time to let him help us if instead we patiently wait for his deliverance he is ready and willing to take our burdens on himself as Jesus says and you've probably heard this a thousand times come to me all you are weary and are carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then Zephaniah follows this up with, he rejoices over you with singing. As he's sitting there, he softly starts singing a soothing lullaby as a mother sings to her little child. You see, all the loving things that we do for those we love are only a shadow of what he does for us. For all the love we possess was instilled in us by him. And where our love is flawed by sin, his love is perfect. So we can picture the love of Almighty God sitting beside us, rocking our cradle, as it were, taking great joy in singing his love songs to us. What an incredible thought. 
How can we respond to love like that in any other way but to love him in return? So how can we express our love for this marvellous God who went to such incredible lengths to bring us back into a right relationship with him? It is he who made us and we are his. Sorry. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 100. This is how we can show our love. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Isn't that how God would want us to see us come into his presence? When we read this psalm, we catch a glimpse of the deep love the psalmist has for his God. He is full of zeal for his Lord and can't wait to get back to his courts as he calls them. Our hearts need to be overflowing with praise for God because of our deep love for him in response to the deep love he has for us. This is, of course, not only when we come to church. No, this is in every part of our lives. It's when we're at work or at home. It's when we're at a sports or entertainment venue. It's when we have fellowship with family, friends and neighbours. It's when we meet strangers in our everyday lives. It is in our coming in and our going out. It is in every breath we take and in every beat of our hearts. Isn't that what Jesus meant when he said that we would worship God in spirit and in truth? Jesus said, true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God doesn't only want outward demonstrations of our love. He wants our love for him to permeate our entire being. It must come from within, welling up like a constant spring that cannot be stopped. When we fully appreciate who God is and what he has done and how much he loves us, how can we do anything else? Come. Let us join with the multitude gathered around God's throne as is described for us by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. After this I looked... And there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory 
and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. After writing much of the letter to the Romans, Paul can't help but cry out in chapter 11, being overwhelmed with the love, grace and mercy God has shown us. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Shall we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, how great and glorious are you. How wonderful. How marvelous. Oh, Lord, we stand in awe of you. For the great and glorious and wonderful God you are. Father, help us. Help us to respond to that wonderful love that you have shown for us by loving you in return in all situations, in all circumstances that we may truly be as jewels in your crown sparkling in the dark that is around us. Bless us, dear Lord. Help us to honour you in such a way that you are pleased. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.